Hey guys, it's Melissa here from MelissaOatman.com. Welcome to another episode of Awaken Your Inner Awesomeness. I am so delighted you're here with me today. And today we have a very special guest. We have with us Miss Kim Sorrell. She has had quite a unique experience. She has spent the past few years of her life learning what love truly is and she's helping others to experience that as well after she lost tragically her husband to pancreatic cancer she also suffered from a bout of breast cancer and so it has actually changed her whole perspective in life and she's here to tell us all about that and how she's working with people and helping them today so thank you so much kim for being here thank you so much for having me i am so interested to hear your story because I just read a little blurb about you and just from what I've read, you seem like you have a very tenacious spirit and you've been through so much and I personally know what it's like to watch someone suffer from pancreatic cancer and then succumb to that horrible disease, so I know that's a very difficult thing. I really can't wait to hear your story, but before you tell us about all the things that have happened to you, just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know. Who is Kim and uh, how did you sort of get to this place in your life where you took this journey of helping people? Well, helping people has always been part of who I am. Like I, I love service. I love to serve. I love to give. I, I love people in general. And so I love meeting new people and helping people any way that I can. I'm an entrepreneur. I've had businesses uh, since high school. I started my first business right out of high school married the man of my dreams and had babies, got five kids and 11 grandkids. And I run a nonprofit organization and uh, I written a couple books. I speak, I'm a love coach and I'm enjoying that. And you're absolutely right. You know, my passion is to spread the word about what love really is. And so you've had kind of a, a rocky journey so far, but it seems like the turning point for you was having to watch your husband go through having pancreatic cancer and then what happened after that. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. I was diagnosed with breast cancer and four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And from the beginning, our prayer was heal him, you know, like some miraculous, wonderful, incredible healing or the ultimate, I believe in an afterlife, of course. And so uh, the ultimate healing of heaven, uh, but please don't let him suffer. That was our prayer. And uh, six weeks in, uh, he, we were doing great watching Cash Cab, having fun together, you know, playing some gin rummy, whatever, just being home together. And then he woke up one morning and was in pain. And before that, his pain was really well controlled. And so didn't have these bad moments, you know, a bad moment of pain. So I called the hospice nurse and she was there very quickly and gave him some more morphine and uh, to relieve his pain. And he was sitting on the edge of the bed and I was holding him from behind because I didn't want him to fall off the bed but laying down was hurting him. Uh, it was uncomfortable. And so he was sitting up and he was just kind of rocking and I could feel his pain. And uh, the hospice nurse was on the phone in our bedroom, right? Standing right there. And I'm like, do I call my kids? And she's, oh, no, no, no. He's got lots of time, lots of time. 
And I just didn't feel like that. And I said, are you sure? Because, oh yeah, nope, nope. He's got lots of time. She's on the phone ordering a hospital bed and equipment, a commode, whatever she was ordering. And because I was feeling him so strongly, I just, I whispered in his ear. I just said, baby, just go. And that was it. He never took another breath. And which was definitely merciful. You know, you've seen your mom go through it. I mean, you know how bad it is and how bad it can be. And for him, uh, that was the most merciful way, I think, for him to go. And uh, even though he was, the doctors thought he'd live a lot longer than six weeks because he was young and healthy and whatever, but um, six I weeks. feel like they just don't know. They, they don't know. They think they, right. you know, because they told my mom she had like six more weeks and she passed away a few days later. So oh, wow. yeah, I just don't yeah. think they know. <laughs> I, I think you're right. They don't, they don't know. And, you know, I mean, it's reasonable, right? They don't have a yeah. question. Well, and I think probably too, it helped giving your husband that permission to go. I mean, I, I really do feel like they listen when we give them that permission and it, it sort of eases that burden of, I need to stay here to take care of everyone else or to be here for everyone else. And that's, it's a hard thing to do, but it, it's such a beautiful thing that you did that for him. Yeah. Well, he was an incredible husband. We had a great marriage and he was just the greatest guy. And so it was easy for me to do anything for him because he did everything for me. He was wonderful. And you said you asked for a dream. I did because it, you know, you hear about people having dreams after yeah. mm -hmm. somebody goes, right? Like I wanted a dream. I'd had dreams uh, before in my life that were uh, significant. I had a dream that somebody died in this raft race that that we had and I woke up frantic trying to figure out who I knew that was going to be in the raft race so that I could warn them and it ended up being my best friend's brother and he passed away that day but I've had dreams like that along the way um, but I wanted a dream you know I I know that God can come to me in dreams and so I I wanted a dream and uh so I finally got one and I uh walked out of my bedroom my dream. I walked out of my bedroom and my husband and his dad who died from pancreatic cancer two, two years, almost to the day before my husband did, uh, were sitting in my family room and they kind of had their hands and their head, their head and their hands. And I walked out and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you guys. You know, what's going on? How are you? And, and my husband said, it's so hard to be here. And immediately I thought the way to the world, the way to the world. Like there is a heaviness here that we don't recognize because yeah. we're in it every day, right? And so I knew exactly what he was talking about. And that's why his hands were in his head. He was exhausted. And I said, so so what's going on? You know, what what's happening? And, and uh, my husband said that he had his job, but that um, my, and my father-in-law said he hadn't chosen his job yet. And I uh, think heaven is, I think the afterlife is much like this life that we will we'll have jobs and it's just, we won't have war, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> sickness of hopefully, you know, whatever. Yeah. But so, um, and then my husband told me 
that he was um, working uh, in the uh, sacristy. And that's not a word I ever used, ever. Yeah. But I immediately knew that that sounded exactly right for him. Exactly right. And you know how people will joke, oh, you know, you're a golfer, you're going to be up in heaven golfing, or you're going to yeah. be, you know, cooking, you know, whatever. And I never would have thought that as a job. And uh, that made so much sense. And so uh, then he said, it's so hard to be here. And I said, I get it. I said, just, you can go, it's okay. And, and that was, that was it. That was my dream. Wow. That's fascinating. But even more fascinating too, is what happened to you after your husband passed, you were chased by a motorcycle gang, <laughs> sleeping <laughs> with tarantulas and snakes. So you have to tell us a little bit about this. So how did you get to that point? What led up to that? Well, I, I questioned the real meaning of love because there seems to be a mystery surrounding love. It's interpreted in so many different ways. And with love, we're taught the definition of love as we're growing up, right? By our parents, grandparents, whoever, mentors in our life, you know, teachers. We see love demonstrated or what we think is love demonstrated. And there's so much done in the name of love that's not love and things said in the name of love that are not love. And so I decided I was going to figure it out because I wanted to know that I was doing life right. You know, I thought I knew my life. I thought I was going to grow old with this man. And here I'm in my 40s and he's gone. And so I wanted to make sure that I was going to do life right. And so I decided I'd dedicate a year to figuring it out. I used a 2,000-year-old poem that you hear at a lot of weddings and your eyes kind of glaze over. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, et cetera. And I decided I would take one word a month and figure out, well, what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And I was in Haiti when I was working on it. That spent the majority of the year in Haiti. I spent a little bit of time in Venezuela, but mostly I was in Haiti, the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. And uh, so it's a whole different atmosphere. Than, than the comforts of home, so to speak. Yeah. And yes, crazy stuff happened. It's like I had to be knocked over the head with the answer. And so uh, crazy stuff happened along the way. Yeah, so how did you end up sleeping on the ground? And that was just part of your, I, I can't, I cannot, I cannot imagine sleeping with tarantulas and snakes. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. <laughs> Well, I was working on that. That month I was working on love keeps no record of wrongs. And I thought, what does that even mean? I really didn't even want to do that month because you forgive people, but you don't forget the things that happened to you. So what could that possibly mean? And so that month I was asked by a man from the U.S. to show him a water project I was working on in Haiti. And so eight American men flew down. And I brought two Haitian friends, both men with us who'd been working on the water project and they could translate. And we went out into the countryside and got to where we were staying. And it was a real small building with just two rooms and four twin size beds in each room. So eight American men, two Haitian men and me. But we brought a couple cots and we brought an air mattress. So I thought, ah, there's room in the rooms. We'll figure it out. 
Well, the head guy of the American guys pulled me over. Kim, Kim, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. And he said, did you see the rooms? And I'm thinking, buddy, there's nothing else to see. This is a little place. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, he's asking me because he's going to think that I want my own room. So I'll say, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he'll say, oh, well, no, if anyone should sleep inside, it should be you. And I'll say, well, I don't care if there's other people in my room. And he'll say, good, good, because there's only so much space. So I said, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he said, oh, good, good, because we've got men on this trip that would not be comfortable with a woman in their room. And I thought, oh, my word, what did I just set myself up for? <laughs> I know. I was, I was dumbfounded. But I said I was going to do it. And so I had to figure it out. And there was a piece of plywood that was held up by a couple of wooden structures. I thought, well, if I put the air mattress under there, at least I won't get wet. But I was scared because there are tarantulas and there are snakes and chupacabras or whatever is lurking in the bushes. I don't even know. Yeah. And none of those things I like. And they could crawl on me at any time or whatever. And who knows what would happen. And so the first night I went to bed and the air mattress held air for about an hour. And then I was laying on gravel and it was really loud. Dogs were barking, horns were honking. Finally, that died down sometime after midnight, probably. And then like 2 a.m., the voodoo drum started in the distance and that lasted for a couple hours. And then finally, I was able to doze off and get some sleep. So first night came and went, all was well. Second night, same thing. I'm on gravel, the dogs, the horns, the voodoo drums. Finally, I'm asleep. But I woke up because there was something on my leg. And I thought, oh my word, does Haiti have the anti-venom to whatever it is that is about to bite me? Or can I get airlifted to Miami before I lose a leg or whatever? <laughs> so I didn't want to jerk and uh, have it bite me immediately. You know, I wanted to see what was going on. So I slowly lifted my head and I slowly opened my eyes and it was a chicken. There was a chicken on my leg and I didn't know whether to be happy that it was a chicken and not something worse or mad because it woke me up from the little bit of sleep I was getting. <laughs> so the third night, same thing, gravel, the noise, whatever, but nothing happened. Fourth night, same thing, gravel, dogs, the horns, the Buddha drums. Finally, I'm asleep. And again, I woke up because again, there was something on my leg. And again, I was scared to death. And so I, again, slowly lifted my head and slowly opened my eyes. And again, it was the dang chicken. And again, I didn't know whether to be mad or happy. <laughs> but that night we had chicken for dinner. So the fifth night came and went without incident, all was well. <laughs> and I got to say, at first I was mad, I was bitter. I thought, who do these guys think they are? You know, I'm all about equality, but this isn't equality. This is Kim, you're less than everybody else, you know? And, and so uh, I didn't get it. I thought, who treats people like this? You know, I, I didn't understand it. And then I thought, you know, bitterness only hurts me. They don't even know I'm mad. I offered to sleep outside. Like, how can I be mad at them? Be like, that's not right. Yeah. And then I thought, you know, I've been working on love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And it finally occurred to me then what it meant. And what it is, is, yeah, we don't forget the stuff that happens to us, but the narrative changes, the tone of the story changes. So instead of these rotten guys that did this rotten thing to me, it's, well, it's kind of a funny story. And I could now sleep anywhere in the world and be perfectly comfortable. 
So it's the tone of the story because we get to pick that. We get to choose the tone of the story. So bitterness goes away and, and that resentment goes away and just the narrative changes. Yeah, it's so true. And so when you are, because I know you're on this mission now to really teach people what love truly is, how are you doing that? So what, I know it's probably not just a, a simple one sentence thing, but how has your perspective maybe changed on what okay. love is? Yeah, my perspective changed a great deal. I realized that there are things we're taught about love that, that are not love for sure and common myths about love. And you know, one thing is that, that I think it's easy to think of love as an emotion or a feeling. And it's not, it's not, you know, fear is you watch a scary movie, you go to bed, you hear every bump, every creak, every everything, right? Because <laughs> the fear, uh, but you don't live in fear. You don't live in fear. Love you live in, love embodies you. Love is who you are, how you choose to love, how you choose to demonstrate who you are is up to you. But love is the embodiment of you. And it's not a feeling, not an emotion. But quite often we're taught that that love is a two-way street. We hear that all the time, right? Love is a two-way street. It's not. Love is a one-way street. Love is on you, period. You know, if I gave you money and you gave me a pair of jeans, that's a transaction. If I give you love to get love, that's a transaction. Love is not a transaction. Once you do anything in the name of love, expecting something in return, relying on something coming back to you in return. But that's not love. You're just doing something to get something. Love gives love, period. You have no control over what comes back to you. Love is special in that quite often love does come back to you. But if you're giving it to get it, you're setting yourself up for heartache and disappointment because you don't control anybody but you. You have no control over anyone but you. So all you can control is the love that you give, the love that you live. And so it is definitely a one-way street. It is not a two-way street. That's really interesting. And I think that's very true. I think a lot of people do kind things for other people, expecting that they'll at least get a thank you or they will get something in return and be acknowledged for the kind act instead of just doing the kind act because they want to. <laughs> Right. That's so true. You know, you hear people say that, or I went to their daughter's wedding. Where are they at mine? You know, whatever. But that again, you know, then you're doing something to get something and that's not love. It might be kind or it might seem kind, but when you do show love that is kind, when you do something kind for someone expecting nothing in return, it's a whole different feeling. Like it's a whole different ball game. And then it almost cheapens it. If you get something in return, because you're like, oh, why did you feel obligated? You know, why did you feel like you had to pay me back? You know, I just wanted to do this for you. And so because you, you have that freedom to know about love that gives that way, love also receives that way. And the obligation to return kindness is not there anymore. Like you, you're not obligated to do anything. You receive, you got to also know how to receive love. That's an interesting point. I think a lot of people don't know how to do that. And what would you say to somebody who's maybe out there thinking, well, if I just give love and get nothing in return, 
am I going to get taken advantage of? Because I'm sure there are people out there thinking that. Well, then, then you're living in fear, right? You're afraid of what will happen if. And so often those things that we think, what will happen, we think could happen, the plane could go down, the whatever, don't happen, don't happen. So instead of looking for what could happen, be you, be true to you. Don't act a different way because you're afraid of what could happen. You know, if, if somebody doesn't return love, if somebody isn't who you think they are, you know, sometimes you have to walk away from people. You know, some if you're in a relationship that you're getting abused in any way, you know, you don't have to stay. Love wouldn't say stay. Love would say the opposite. Love would say walk away. Because by staying, you're enabling the person to stay in that behavior and, and not grow. If you really love them, you walk away. You walk away. And so you can't live in this fear of what could happen. Be you. Be. Just be you. I love that. And I, I want to talk to you about your book, too, because um, I know that you wrote a book called Love Is. So tell us a little bit about that. So I wrote it as I was doing it. And so I start out each chapter with what I think it's going to be. Love is patient, you know, and we, we know what patience is, right? We're not honking our horn for second traffic, you know, or whatever. But and then I tell the story of what happens, like being chased by the motorcycle gang or sleeping outside where the tarantulas and snakes are or whatever. <laughs> I, I tell the story of how I came to know the truth about the word that I was working on. And so that's what love is, is it's not rainbows and unicorns kind of a love book. It is right. the true nitty gritty of life kind of a love book. And uh, it's, it, it was quite an adventure for sure. Sounds like it. And it sounds like the universe was unfolding your answers for you in the most dramatic ways. <laughs> yeah, mostly having to hit me over the head with them. Yeah, yeah was the issue. I wasn't paying <laughs> the right kind of attention. <laughs> That's too funny. And so besides writing your book, what else are you doing these days? I, I know you do work with people to help them kind of figure out what is the true meaning of love? Because as you said, I think so many of us get conditioned as we're younger to think of love as being conditional. And so now it's all about unlearning what we've learned and learning new things. So how are you helping people do that? Uh, well, I'm a love coach. And so I'm working with people in groups or working with people one-on-one uh, -on -one, and amazing things are happening. Uh, it's amazing how just understanding the what love really is and then looking at your life and going uh -huh, am i living that way am i loving that way you know am i really getting it you know look because there's so many things right like people will say well i love everybody but those darn democrats you know or i love everybody but those republicans well then you don't love everybody yeah. you know there there are things that we do that we think we're doing it but maybe we're not really and relationships change everything changes when you really understand the true meaning of love and then live it have you seen when you work with people perhaps people who are in relationships that maybe were struggling a lot who once they start really learning what love is all about it completely shifts 
the relationship dynamic? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The couple's staying together. You know, if you think about it, really one person can change a relationship. You know, quite often going back to expectation, right? And not expecting anything in return. Well, uh, quite often we don't do the things in a relationship that we really should do because we're going, well, where are they? Where's their responsibility? Why aren't they stepping up? Right. But people don't control your happiness. You know, the minute you let other people control your happiness, you're going to be sad. You know, you're going to be miserable. Like why live that? You know, choose your own happiness. You, you get to pick it. And so if it's you having to change, you having to, to be the one to make the relationship better, then why wouldn't you? You know, you, you love that person, or at least you did when you said, I do. So yeah. figure out what it is that, that needs to bring you back there. Good advice. I love that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your nonprofit too. You have, it sounds like you're just doing so many amazing things, but I'd love to know more about that. Yeah, Raise of Hope International, we're a partnering organization. So we work with people in their own country that have a passion to do something to help people in their own country. And they already understand the language, they understand the true need, they understand the culture, but they just need someone to walk alongside. You know, maybe they need some funding for a building or they need a, a business plan to make it all work or uh, a sustainability plan for sure. But it's hard to have, have schools without pencils, you know, or a medical cl clinic without equipment. And so sometimes that's what, what it is, is they just need equipment. So uh, that's what we do. We work with people um, in a few different countries and do what we can. <laughs> I love that. And I love your mission of helping people to really embrace what love truly is. And I think there's so much we have to learn still. You know, we hear that all the time, like, oh, we're all love. We just, we're all connected. And this is, we came here to learn all about love. And yet, I think so much of the time we do allow fear to rule our lives and we put conditions on people and we don't truly just let go and love people. So I, I am really thankful that you are spreading that truth around and helping people to really understand the true definition of love. And I, I think it's so needed right now. Yeah, it's what the world needs now, right? Love, sweet love, yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us today and, you know, sharing everything that you do. If there are people out there listening who want to buy your book, or maybe they're just saying, you know what, my relationships haven't been so great. And maybe it's because I don't really know how to show up in them. I don't know how to love without putting all of those conditions on other people. How can people work with you or buy your book or follow you? What's the best way? Well, uh, I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire world because my last name's obnoxious. It has way too many letters. It has two R's, two L's, two E's, S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. KimSorrell.com is my website. Love Is is my book and it's a dark blue cover and with a great big white Love Is. So it's pretty easy to find. And if you Google Love Is, hopefully that's an easy name to remember. Um, I should pop up. I should pop up somewhere, but I'm on the socials and whatever. And uh, I have areas to connect on my website and I love to hear from people. And 
um, love to work with people and do anything I can. Awesome. And we'll have all of those links. We'll have the link to your website in the show notes. So if people want to go and check you out further, they can go right there and click on it and get to you. Thank you again so much for being here with us today and for everything that you've done. Losing a loved one is never an easy thing, but it always warms my heart to see when people take something that would be a tragedy and turn it into blessing others through the healing. And I just think that's so fantastic. So I just have to applaud you for that. Thank you very much. And I applaud you because uh, you, you're given the world a great gift and thank you for all that you do. Ah, thank you. Thank you for being here today. And I want to thank all of you for being here with us today. I urge you to go and check out Kim's website and also check out her book. It sounds fabulous. And I am so excited about all of the amazing things that she is doing to help people. I want to thank each and every one of you for subscribing to this show and leaving a positive review. You know, the greatest compliment you can pay me is to share this podcast with anyone you think might benefit. You can join us now on Patreon for a free seven day trial where you'll actually see the video of this interview with Kim, as well as the videos of all of the other interviews that I do with my guests and you get two extra episodes per week. Plus, we do live card readings on Mondays and live master classes once a month. So I would love to have you over there to join us. I hope that you guys have a beautiful day from wherever you're listening. Thank you again, Kim, so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I am sending you guys so much love and light, and I will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.